Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Textual Healing. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for joining me. We have a great guest for today's show. But before we get into that, I'd like to back up and tell you a little bit about Textual Healing. It is a weekly podcast that interviews writers about music, books, genres that drive them, and other fun facts. If you want to support the show, follow us on Twitter at PodHealing, rate us on Apple Podcasts, or subscribe on Spotify. All help matters when it comes to a show like this, where we try to give writers a platform to speak about who they really are and what influences their writing. People like today's guest, Kirstie McKenzie. Kirstie is an amazing short story writer that you can find on Tramset, Had, and of course, Maldon House, amongst other very rad places in the online literary community. During this episode, we cover everything from how certain songs inform her writing, how vulnerable a writer can really be on Twitter, her new book, and I get a chance to ask her the weird questions that everybody wanted to know about her. So stick with us. I promise you a whole roller coaster of topics. So uh, without further ado, this is Kirsty McKenzie, and enjoy the show. God damn it. Hello. I'm so happy to meet you. Oh my god, right? Welcome to Textual Healing. Let's fucking go. <laughs> I really am so excited to talk to you. I, re- I feel like uh, I was like so shy to reach out. Um, and DT, you know, like DT was, and he was just like, I'll go do it. I'll go tell Mal. And then I was like, you don't have to do that. It's fine. And he was like, it's done. And I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> I was so thrilled. I really love what you do with Maudlin House. And um, I think I get like, I get this thing where everyone online is like cooler than I am. I just like assume everyone's a lot fucking cooler than I am. And I was like, Mallory Smart seems really cool. Mallory <laughs> Smart's nice not to get cool. to know her. Well, that's kind of the thing, though, is we always think everyone's cooler than we are. But you seem really cool to me. Well, thank you so much. If you meet <laughs> me in person, here are the first few things people say. God damn, you're shorter than I expected. How and tall are you? Five feet tall. Five feet? Yeah. That is short. I know. <laughs> I'm a tiny one. But then also... <laughs> I am pretty shy. Like, if you ask me to do a reading, I'll just be like, no, I'll hang in the corner and watch. Enjoy. Yeah, I think it's like, I had this conversation with people at AWP. I was talking to people about that and saying, um, like, I think it's sort of like a spectrum of shyness because people were saying, I would have no concept or clue that you were shy. And I was like, I love talking to strangers, though, but it's like a switch that I flip. Yeah, and I... I always, like, always low-key trying to make people laugh, so if I can make you laugh, I feel like I've done my job. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to definitely make you laugh then. Before we hop into your writing, would you like to hear the very strange questions that people DM'd me? Oh my god! Did were people fucking weird in your mentions? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm trying to decide which one we're going to do. Okay, do okay. It. Were they all weird? Um, some of them are just like dorky. Yeah. Um, some are just very odd. Like I've, I've had questions like these thrown at me too, but um, I will do my very best for you. Okay, so we'll, we'll start easy. What's yeah. your zodiac sign? Oh, I'm a Capricorn Sun, a Virgo rising, and a Libra Moon. Okay, I can tell so you're you my like whole one chart of those. 
Gen Z type people, then you you really know that. Yeah, I'm I'm woo woo. I know okay. my chart very well. Are you like on CoStar? Do you have that app? No, I don't have CoStar, but I do like occasionally look up my transits online and stuff, just to like I don't like see what's happening. And it was like a thing. Uh, like if I'm bored at work, I'll like look it up. It's just like a thing I'll read about if I'm bored at work and I want to like tune my brain out of whatever I'm doing. So, yeah. Let's throw another That's... softball at you. Sure. What's the last video on your phone? The last video? Yeah, what's the last thing you took a video of? I'll admit uh, mine too, if it helps. Let's see. Hold on. I took some... Mine was actually at a reading in Pittsburgh. No, Philadelphia. Uh, oh, I went to the Pinball Museum in Seattle with Jillian Luft, who's so lovely. Hello, Jill. Um, and I went with her and a couple of her friends to the Pinball Museum, and I took some videos of the pinball machines because they're so beautiful. They're really beautiful and so cool. And, like, pinball's really meditative to play. Like, you could just tune out for hours and play it. Um, and I really... I really loved that afternoon. It was really good. So that was the last video on my phone. Okay. Nothing sexy. Sorry, pals. Okay. Well, we're about to jump in there. Ready? Oh, my phone. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> how many times a day do you think about sex? I Holy. know. Someone sent that to me. That's fucking racy. I know. Sickos? All right. You don't have to answer that. I, no, but... I'm honestly trying to think. So the people came for. It is. Uh, I guess it depends on the day. Depends on how I'm feeling. Depends yeah. on how busy I am. Maybe 10. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever really thought about how often I think about it. It depends on the day. It, it depends on the time of day. In. Pop culture, whatever you're watching, you know. I love that. I love that someone legitimately hopped in the DMs to ask me that. That is so. Oh, there's one more sex there. one. Holy um, fuck. Although this is like... I'm putting out a vibe. It's, I think it's because you wrote that one thing. As a about my tits? Yeah. <laughs> I hope they're not about my tits and someone no. was probably like, oh, let's fix that. Okay, so I do have to say, I think the whole world is familiar with the Hunger Games. You, you know the Hunger Games, right? I'm not. Like, I, like oh. low-key, but I've never, I've never watched it, so... But you're aware of the concept. They're all in the arena and they're being filmed as they try and fight each other to the death. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think they don't have sex while playing the Hunger Games? That's such a specific question. It is. Uh, maybe because, like for like, the same killing reason, each other. Yeah, like maybe for the same reason, like maybe coaches like tell players not to have sex before game time to keep them focused and like all keyed up or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But they could be in like peak depression because they know that they're gonna lose and they're gonna die soon. Yeah, that's such a specific question. That is, it's a very specific question. I like that someone trusted me with this. <laughs> I'm. I feel like I don't have a good answer for you. That, that's cool. Maybe because, uh, if you had post nut clarity, you'd realize how fucked up everything was about the thing you were doing in the Hunger Games. Or, you, or you'd be more vulnerable. Yeah, you know what? Someone can go all Black Widow on you. You have no idea. Could be. 
So someone else, whoever posts this has thought about this at length. That's what I love about majority of these, these questions where I'm like, people put effort into yeah. some of these where yeah. some are just easy. Like who's your favorite serial killer? <laughs> is that an easy one? I feel like we, it actually is. Do we play favorites with the world's worst human beings? I'm just going to like pick apart because I actually have 50 questions and I'm just going to pick my favorite. Did they, did 50 people really write in? Mm-hmm. No shit. I got a shit ton of questions here. For me. All for you. I'm not going to ask you all of them because. That's fair. Yeah. We have to, we have to like respect time. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I think this is a thing everybody does. So I'm going to ask you. What song do you lower the volume to when you're at a red light? Oh my god, that's such a fucking good question. Uh, anything by Drake. Really? I went through, yeah, like I went through a phase where I was grieving. There was like a couple deaths in the family. And when I'm going through something really hard, I can't listen to like my regular rotation of like music because... I can't feel anything more than I'm feeling. And like music brings a lot of like emotion out of me. Right. So I have to just like listen to something that doesn't make me feel anything. Um, or like, isn't usually related to what I like, like to listen to. And so while I was grieving these deaths, I was like, I'm going to listen to nothing but Drake. And for like a year, I got very into like the Drake lore and into Drake's albums. Like I think all the way up to, Maybe Scorpion, I want to say. Uh, but, like, and I was just, that was all I wanted to listen to. I was like, I'm grieving. Hotline Bling is going to be the thing that cures me. It's going to be the bomb for my soul. And I would um, cruise around listening to Drake albums <laughs> in my car. Just, like, grieving but also singing to Drake songs. And then I would like roll up to a red light and like turn it down. Cause I was acutely aware of how embarrassing it was. So oh, yeah, anything... you get really into it. Then you're just like, Ed, don't notice me, please. Yeah. So I would say like specifically probably Marvin's room by Drake, <laughs> because you're really feeling that shit. You are. But then you, you, you go up to a red light and like, you're like, no, I need to turn this down. No one can witness me doing this. And I know that that's maybe possibly universal. Clearly it is. But also, I remember sitting on my balcony last summer and someone was really fucking going through that day because they rolled up to a red light that was kind of like under my building and they were playing Marvin's Room and they did not turn it down. If anything, they probably jacked that fucker up. So someone was really going through it and I was like, I see you. I feel you. Sending them the vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like when you actually do the uh, Spotify wrapped. My niece was definitely, like, asking, because one day I guess I listened to All Too Well by Taylor Swift, like, 15 times. Yeah. And she's like, and what Spotify's were you going like, through? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spotify's like, you were having a day. What's up? Like, I did not need a 23-year-old to be like, what happened that day? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Only for me to be like, I was driving around, that's all. Yeah, so I really, like, respect the people who, like, gamify their Spotify rap, so it's cool. And I was not able to do that the last couple years, because I was also going through something difficult, and the way I decided to, like, 
deal with it was by listening to EDM music, which is also horribly embarrassing. But I love it. Turns out I'm a slut for the drop. We'll say. Turns How's that embarrassing? It. So, That's lit. Just because, like, it, and I spared you the EDM on this playlist. I was like, I will say, for someone who really says cool. that, I'm looking at your playlist right now. Like, where is it? I know, because I'm... I was I'm even like looking for the Drake on here. I'm like, what? <laughs> Where it be? I'm a dyed-in-the-wool dyed rock fan, and it was very surprising to me that I loved EDM as much as I did when I leaned into it, and I have a lot of fucking feelings about it. And But I was like, Mal seems really cool. I'm not going to go on this podcast and like bore her about the world's most embarrassing genre. So, oh, no. Uh, I've had very long conversations with really boring genres so we're good and edm not boring well i think i think it just gets a really bad rap and i can see that but i also have kind of looked into it and i'm not really deep into the culture or anything but like what i have seen or taken in of it has been nothing but amazing like i went to a giant fuck off rave in the desert last spring and it was like the happiest i'd been in so long it was just beautiful i wasn't even on drugs i was like drunk on maybe one beer and just having the time of my life it was so good so i don't even know how i got on this topic but oh no uh, this actually works this is another question i actually have to find it though as i'm scrolling what did somebody finally ask me about avici because sometimes sometimes i'll go on like a 46 no one went that specific except for hunger games hunger games they were specific about but um that's a really specific one can you tell me your most embarrassing concert moment oh most embarrassing concert moment i mean you just mentioned raves a lot of people have been saying what happens at the rave stays at the rave yeah, I wasn't fucked up enough to do anything embarrassing at the rave, though. And I was by myself. I went by myself and just, like, met people and had fun and then just, like, let them melt back into the crowd, and that was cool. So there was nothing embarrassing that happened there. I'm really trying to think of this. Oh, um, one of the bands on my playlist, uh, Arkells, is, like, a really well-known Canadian band, and they... I kind of lots of people I know kind of came of age with this band and we, we saw them kind of go from like playing small sweaty little clubs to like playing these massive festivals. And they were just like your buddies that were in a band who you could root for. And like, so I've been to a lot of their shows and at one of the earlier ones, one of my friends who's like a huge, huge music aficionado really wanted to like meet them. And I was like, okay, let's go do that. And I went up to, like, I was just, like, a bit less shy than he was, and we went up to one of the guys, and I was like, will you sign our tits? And he was like, what? Because my buddy who's next to me is just this, like, 6'3", big dude. And, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, both of ours. And then we, I, like, pulled down my shirt. I was like, pull down your shirt. And he's like, okay. And he, and I don't know if one of us had a Sharpie or not. And, and I went up, and I, I kind of, like, fucking embarrassed myself for my friend's sake so that he could meet this band that we both really loved. But, like, we, the look on the guy's face, I'll never forget it. He was just like, what, this is this is embarrassing for everyone involved. Like he did not want to be signing my tits. He did not want to be signing my buddy's tits. Like, but that's, that's what we did. And you know, then we, most I buddies have, don't I like have being a, told that they have tits, but no. And he did, he didn't, it was just like his, his like chest, but like, you know, I was, it's like, I guess what the, what you ask a rock star to do. And I went and embarrassed myself so that my buddy could 
meet his favorite band. And I have a picture of it somewhere, but that's that stands out as being embarrassing just because of the look on the guy's face. Like it's imprinted in my mind. Like he did not want to be doing this, but he humored us. He was very kind about it. So I like that you're willing to take one for the team. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty silly, I guess. Oh, actually (laughs) someone asked the same question, but then rephrased it. Most fucked up thing you've done at a concert. I'm just going to count it as both. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've done any fucked up things at concerts. I almost got in a fight with a 50-year-old woman, but that's because she was just really annoying me. (laughs) Oh, no. What was she doing? She's talking very loudly about her bachelorette party while we're watching bleachers. And I was just like, dude, Jack Antonoff is trying to sing. I don't want to hear you. Yeah. I want to hear him, not you. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. I feel, I saw bleachers and Arkell's played around the same time at Oceaga last year. I feel like you would like Arkells if you like bleachers. Oh, I was definitely getting heavy in. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. Their first three albums are like chef's kiss. So good. Mallard does her homework before doing the podcast. So with the Spotify wrapped, it's just going to be so confusing all over the place based on the playlist everybody gives me. Well, I hope I hope I had some stuff on there oh. that you liked and was happy to dive into. So, why do you think I kept posting the songs I liked um, on Instagram? Oh, amazing! That's so good. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about it. I'm happy to talk about any old band on there you want to talk about. So, okay, so I will do two writer questions and then I think this that's is fun. It. I'm very I'm very flattered. Thank you all who wrote in. That's very kind of you. I had no idea people thought I was so interesting or maybe people who just wanted to like catch me and embarrass me on things who knows but either way i'm flattered you thought of it (laughs) but i'm excited to ask it anyways which author would you want to punch in the face oh (laughs) i know don't you love like let's go and it's like damn they asked me that which one would i want to punch in the face and it's like you know that there is one but you just don't want to say it um, I can't. You go can with hit my, like, skip if you want. <laughs> no, I can't go with my gut instinct on this one because it would get me in trouble. But like my knee-jerk reaction, writers that I know or writers that I don't know. <laughs> Just says writer, author that you would like to punch in the face. I'm gonna go with David Foster Wallace for for no reason. Okay, yeah. Just because I think it'll rile a lot of people up. Doubtful. Plus, I like not in our community. I don't. Uh, I know what little I have read of his, I didn't like. Okay. You raise uh, him from I, the dead and jack him in the face. I'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. This would I'm be trying a to think, good teamwork I, moment. This is one of those things where, like, I'm going to be brushing my teeth or I'm going to wake up in the dead of night and be like, oh, I had the answer for this. Dude, just tweet it out if you do. Yeah. Yeah. If I do, it'll be the title of this podcast if I come up with something better in the next few days. Okay, so what is the weirdest thing you've done at a literary reading? My own reading or someone else's? Either, I guess. Pretty vague. They left Um, it open. I didn't ask anyone to sign my tits at lit readings yet. Not yet. So I guess the first reading I ever did, I was very green. and How old were you? Oh, uh... Oh, what fucking year was it? 
I think we should establish how old are you now? I'm 36. I turned 36 in December. What up, squad? Yeah, we're young-looking millennials. Amazing. Yeah. Love that for us. It's a good skincare routine. Uh, So I guess maybe I was 28. It was around the time I first started writing, and I, like, won a contest, and they invited the, like, winners to do a reading. So I got up there, and because I was very green, I didn't know that you shouldn't, like, read your whole story. You should just read a part of it. So I read the whole thing and probably bored the fuck out of the crowd. But it was in a gallery, and I got up there, and because I'm real fucking big on blurt, I just realized that there was swearing in my stories. As I'm sure you know, there were a ton of fucks in the stories I sent you. It's a big feature of my work. And I got up there and I was like, can I swear? Like, it was just like the first thing out of my mouth. Like, I didn't say hello. I didn't like, and I wasn't asking anyone in particular. I was like, can I swear? And people kind of laughed or whatever. And I didn't realize till after I went and sat back down. I guess it was a good icebreaker and I swore anyway, but... (laughs) I mean, people brought their kids, but that's on you if you bring your kid to a lit reading. Who knows? Anyway, but I sat back down, and I didn't realize on the walls of the gallery was this exhibit, and it was like comic book panels or whatever, and on the wall behind me was a giant fuck in a speech bubble. So, like... Oh, you were good then. The jokes write themselves, so uh, that was maybe a little bit embarrassing, but oh well. Okay. (laughs) Are you on TikTok? No. Okay, I mean, so that one's I, irrelevant. I had I had to get it as I don't remember why. Maybe for work, but I don't use it. Like you don't scroll. My only exposure. No, like my only exposure to TikToks is when other people pick TikToks and like throw them up on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. One one uh, girl I know like kind of curates every so often like the best of her TikTok feed and then she like posts a bunch of them in succession they're all really funny she's really really good at doing it and that's like the most that I watch TikTok videos they're so good there's one that lives rent free in my head it's like these dudes who like chirp people that are teeing off at golf and they just like do you know what chirping is do you know what I mean when I say chirping okay good um because sometimes I've heard that that's like a Canadian thing to say but anyway I have Canadian friends we're good (laughs) That's right, yeah. And you're, like, kind of, like, north enough that you would probably know. And you're from a hockey town, so you would probably know. Um, but they, it's, like, these dudes, and they, they try and throw people off their game when they're at the golf tee. And it's the funniest shit. I, I don't know. I don't know how often I've watched it. Like, a lot. And I, it, I laugh the same every single time. Anyway, I'm not on TikTok. That was a long way to say that. Oh, no, because the next one was going to say, what kind of videos do you watch? Like, what's your algorithm? So I feel like we got a good summary there. Probably shit posts. Yeah. Like anything shit posty that's really funny. And um, when Ellie curates her TikToks, that's what I like to watch. Wow, there's one I really want to ask, but it's like truly irrelevant to all of it. So, um, what's that? Far away. We're here. Would we you well. prefer to a house possessing you like Amityville Horror or a demon possessing you like The Exorcist? Oh, shit. That's specific. It's actually. This strikes at the heart of all my fears as a lapsed Catholic. The thing that I... Lapsed Catholic for the win. Oh, my God. Yeah. The one time... I'm such a bad fucking Catholic, bro. The one... I was called that today. A bad Catholic? Yeah. Nice. Hey, it's Lent, Uh, you horrible Catholic. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. It's... What did someone call it? Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. (laughs) It's like, I'm not giving anything up for Lent. You heathen. Uh, 
Yeah, I know. Goddamn. Uh, I, this strikes at the heart of all my fears as a bad Catholic. Uh, the one type of horror movie, you're a horror aficionado, the one type of horror movie I cannot watch is like a, like an exorcism or like possession movie. That Ooh. shit fucks me up. I can't. It terrifies me. So, and I sometimes get dreams about like demons getting inside me. So like, probably the house. Okay. I think having a demon inside you would be worse. It feels and looks really fucked up when it's in the movies. I dig it, it. terrifies me. It legitimately terrifies me. Isn't it funny that in both of those scenarios, though, Catholic priests are actually the good guys? Yeah. It is so yeah, funny. Yeah, that's some, that's some propaganda bullshit right there. Yeah, definitely. They knew it was happening, and they're like, we need to, you know, change our vibe. Okay, I'll end it with this one. What's your personal okay. theme song? Um, you had to know that might have been a question. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I, I feel like this changes a lot. My personal theme song. Um, this is another one I'm gonna wake up in the dead of night and wish I had a better answer to. You send so, me notes the, and everything like crazy. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I would say. <laughs> Maybe the aspirational one is Black Rooster by The Kills, which is on this playlist. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. we should actually go through your bullshit for textual healing. Sure. Great title, that. by the way. Yeah, I didn't know what else to call it. Oh, I've had and some I... good ones, but yeah. Most people usually name it after their books, or then some people like just say like their name and then textual healing playlist. If you look up textual healing on Spotify, you're going to get a shit ton of playlists. Oh, cool. I actually have to go look that up from all the previous seasons and stuff and all or the previous guests. text heal. Although I got a really good one where someone just wrote me an upside down playlist from uh, Stranger Things because we spoke about it too much in the episode. Yeah. yeah. I, I also loved hearing that little uh, Claire's story about the title of the podcast. I thought that was so fucking great. Cause I was going to come barreling on here and be like, God damn it. That's a good title for a podcast. Very good. Oh, I wonder if I actually I like have it. like a list of what the other podcast names were because I had like a whole the, like the list that got discarded. Yeah. No, I don't have the list of the, uh, textual healing alternatives. I do have the alternatives for the, that horror cast one. So, oh, gotcha. But there were a lot of different random ass ones, and Claire really hopped on there and gave us a good one. Yeah, she really did. I loved her book. I read that recently. I loved Echo Chamber. It was so delightfully weird. I haven't been able to eat a chicken nugget since without thinking about that man being a dinosaur-shaped chicken nugget. (laughs) Claire, if you're out there and you're listening, you got in my head. Oh, she's definitely listening. Yes. Yeah, I love it. She, She writes so, like wonderfully absurd and the lines are just so crafted so precisely and so funny and so deadpan anyway just big adoration for echo chamber and claire's work hell yes claire is the best actually seriously she used to be an editor for malden house and i think that's how we started getting on the inside with each other a bit more oh cool that's great and malden house published a book of hers and everything Oh, no, i got to look that up. Yeah. Sorry, I think the only one I know that you guys have published is uh, DT's book. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, I will highly recommend everything we publish. Yes. 
I will have to look. I will have to look it all up. I'm going broke buying everyone's books. See, that's a one thing that I think is a little unsustainable. Okay, it's really unsustainable about the lit world <laughs> right now, is that we just don't have enough money to buy each other's books. And some people yeah. write like crazy to the point where it's like, I bought one of your books. Like, be happy with that, please. Yeah, and like you want to be fair to everyone, right? So I'm trying to. Um every few weeks I like try and bookmark things. And then if anyone on here is worried about promoting too much, fucking don't because it takes me 10 to 15 times to see you promoting it for me to remember like, right. I have to order that right. I have to order that. So if you ever get weird about feeling like, Oh, I'm promoting too much, please don't because people need to be reminded a lot and no one's going to fault you for doing it. Cause they have to do it too. Oh, um, be a promo whore. I support that shit like crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. as I said, pimp yourself out. I'm for it. If Taylor Swift yeah. can do it, you could do it even better, I'm sure. Absolutely. And, like, it's nice to see people having fun with it. It feels like there's a lot of fun that goes on with it. So, um, and I love seeing people's, like, really creative ways of of self-promoting. So I have stickers yeah. with a QR code with my book title and everything, and I just put it That's on smart. random shit. They're in a lot of Chicago bathrooms, to be honest. Right. No, that's good. That's where I'm paying attention. Yeah. I love looking at it's the It's always walls. like on the stall, usually. And be like, the Logan Theater, the uh, movie theater is probably just like, God damn it, she was back again. Yeah. She, you're just like a bandit with your QR codes. I know. The only that's living good. girl in Chicago struck again. I haven't gotten my copy yet. It's on its way to me, apparently. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't know jack shit about that because I don't handle that. <laughs> yeah, I ordered it, uh, sorry, because I couldn't order it from wherever. I had to order it from somewhere else, remember? I had to order it from Amazon because wherever it was, was it Trident? Trident, yeah. Yeah, they won't they won't ship to me, but that's okay. But Echo I mean, Chamber I, is Trident also. Yeah, and I had to get it some other way. I can't remember how. Yeah, there are a lot of I different methods. But that's okay. I feel like however you can get your hands on it, people are usually just happy that you're reading it, right? I was going to, okay, I'll give this to all the non-United States audience. Book Depository, free yeah. shipping, and the authors actually get uh, fair royalties, and you could say fuck you to Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I think that's that's where I wound up having to order DT's book from because I remember going to order it through like whatever you had a Maudlin house and the shipping was like 60 bucks and I went to DT I was like why do you hate my country bro I think I have a screenshot <laughs> of that I have a screenshot of your message it was so much fucking money I was like like I want your book but I don't want it that badly <laughs> so, like yes, book, Dave book messaged me works. and I was just like I think a lot of people think that like we handle the shipping fees but we don't no 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 I, I know it wasn't you I know it no. wasn't you I, believe I me was just, you know, I've I had other joking. people but no I thought that was funny because yeah. Dave sent me so many messages and I was like why do you have so many foreign like fans stop it yeah yeah he's got stop talking to Canadians <laughs> The international contingent, yeah. He's he's real big in Ontario. <laughs> Dude, we need to send his ass up there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Stop reading in L.A. I'm going to be like, get out of L.A. You've been there long enough. Go go check out Canada. I'll join. I wa I've always <laughs> wanted to go. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, book depository. Do it up, folks. Yeah. 
is that sad that I just had to say I've always wanted to go to Canada? Like, I've been to other, like, cool countries, but, like, Canada's, like, oh, on my list. Been? Yeah, you know what it is? Oh, shit. In um, sophomore year English class, we were offered a chance to go, and this is how you know I really suck at my uh, geography. Do you know where Stratford, Canada, Canada is? Stratford, Ontario? Yeah, maybe, yeah. I think it is very generally in southern Ontario. So we were closer offered to Toronto than here. A chance to go there, and my parents were like, "Nah," to me. So I didn't get a chance to go. So I've been obsessed with wanting to go ever since. I feel like Stratford's not a huge destination. There's like other places I would sooner recommend than Stratford, but uh, yeah, you should definitely come hang. So I'm like, my American ass wants to know if my, you know. Fantasy of Canada is accurate at all. Tell me about your oh, Mounties. Hit me. Do you have Mounties? What would you like to What would you like to know about Mounties? You know, they you, just hang around like ma- Dudley Do Right, like <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like riding a horse uh, backwards. Do, do so. I wish. Um, sometimes you might see that on like ceremonial type days like Canada Day. Most RCMPs officers just look like straight up cops. Oh, that's boring. So it's less sexy than you imagine. Sorry. Um, sometimes you Brendan see them. Fraser. Oh. Yeah, and I am sorry I have to destroy that dream for you. Fuck. Yeah, I apologize. What else would you like to know? Um, I, I am curious. What is the moose population there? Um, I don't know exact numbers. Like, do you, do you <laughs> see them? Is it common enough that party. you run into them? But <laughs> um, I would say I have seen maybe five moose in my life. Usually on highways when it's terrifying. Um, I like that Canadians get... actually know the plural. We actually call them mooses because we're really dumb here in America. Oh, I mean, we might also call them mooses, but it actually is moose. It is. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, now we've now we know. Um, I haven't seen too many of them in my life, but also I'm not like a hunter, and they're they're more in like rural areas. So where I grew up, people saw them more often and hunted them. Um, I I guess it's like fairly hardy. I guess mm-hmm. the population. It's not like it's not like I'm going to work and I see a moose, but uh, the actually the campus that I my um, university campus, deer used to always cross through there. See, we get so deer that was pretty all over the place here. That's, that's not a big deal, deer. That, okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm in the prairie <laughs> that's, that's state. Not sexy. That's not sexy you're, at all. You're only here for moose. Uh, yeah, not very often they exist. Just like I, you're not seeing too many of them. I guess it depends on where you live. So, And is hockey that big a deal there? Yes. Okay, yeah, okay. Yes, it absolutely is. Actually, uh... I'm trying to, like, like, imagine, like, is it your equivalent to our baseball? Or... I would say so. It is, like, a really big culture here. In, like, in the way that I had no concept that the NHL was, like, maybe the fifth most big league in the state. Like, it's just, like, not a big deal at all in the States. So, um... That was news to me because it's such a big deal here. Hockey culture is very permeated in the fabric of Canadian life. And 
Like, I don't, for better or worse, like, there's a lot that's fucking problematic about hockey culture, but there's also a lot that I love about it as well. Like, I, I've been watching all winter um, a comedy series called Shorzy, and it's a spinoff of Letterkenny. Do you know about Letterkenny? Mm-mm. No. It's, um, like, a sketch comedy show that's kind of based on, like, Canadian small town life, I guess. And it's so, so sharply written and so funny, and you could watch it. 10 times and pick up on new jokes. It's very, very quick. And they, they have like kind of a specific way of talking. And this, the spinoff show is about hockey culture. It's like specifically about hockey culture. And I've been watching it. I, I must've watched it 12 times already this winter. Like I just love it. See, that's a Canadian um, specific thing. <laughs> very Canadian specific. Absolutely. I absolutely adore it. And I would recommend that. And actually some of the songs that I was uh, the Blind Shake on this on this playlist was a band that I um, found by listening or by watching that show. The music direction on that show, like the scoring and the sequencing that they do, they have these fantastic, not very well known bands that are on this, uh, both Letterkenny and Shorzy, and The Blind Shake was one of them. And I had no idea how I didn't know about The Blind Shake because of all that wasted youth I spend in Minneapolis going to these like bars to see shows and they're Minneapolis bands. So I was like so thrilled to find out about them, but I don't, I don't know when I'd ever be able to catch a show of theirs cause I'm not near Minneapolis anymore and I don't really know how often they tour, but they are a good, good band. I really love discovering them from that show. So, so I was going to ask how music actually like really fits into your writing, but now I just want to know how does Canada fit into your writing? Oh, uh, I mean, I guess that's like because I don't part... see like the stereotypes that we like have of Canada. Oh, what, what are the stereotypes? Please tell me. Oh, I, I'm not going to go there. Celine Dion, our lady, our lady Celine. Oh, I love her. So, <laughs> oh God, I just ruined all my cool cred, didn't I? No, it's okay. Yeah, I, I think people can love Celine Dion. She's a legend. She is. Ever since Titanic, she... I've been a big fan. Yeah, like. Celine really gives her, like, you know, you're not getting a half-ass from Celine. Hell yeah. She gets up there and she, yeah, <laughs> give her shit. That's Celine all the way. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of what what's, what else is a cliche, like Drake, yeah, Justin Drake. Bieber. You got your Bieber. Um, um, obviously, you know, you're not the stereotype of, like, extra, oh, my God, I need to be all nice and amazing and all that shit, like, personality. Oh, I'm not okay. That's good. Yeah, well, I like that. I mean, we we think that we're nice, like Canadian. I mean, I guess we are, but also I have, have met a lot one Canadian who was like just consistently like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and I said, "Be like, shut the fuck up with your I'm sorry." Oh, uh, well, in fairness, I do say I'm sorry a lot. I just haven't done it on this podcast. So you would you would probably, I would be the writer you'd want to punch in the face for how often <laughs> I say I'm sorry for things I don't need to say I'm sorry for. Don't and that worry. Is I have a top 10. You're not making it yet. <laughs> I love that you have a list. I'm going to have to curate mine now that someone's asked me. Mm. But that stereotype does exist. And it's never more apparent than when you're in like a store or on a street and someone who is five feet away from you in absolutely no danger of colliding with you will be like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. They'll like pass you and be, I've done it. 
What are you like, like, like when you're pe- crossing the street? Like, do people just like wave you like to cross anyways? Like there's like, we'll stop all of traffic for you. No, no, not no. that nice. Okay. No, not that nice. <laughs> we like, I mean, we like to think we're nice, but like, it's like anywhere there's assholes. Yeah, for sure. I will We've say got plenty of them right now. The nicest people I've met are in Portland. So you're, you're competing with them. I believe that. Yeah. They're really, really is, nice there. Is Kevin Maloney from Portland? He was one of the nicest people I met in Seattle, him and his wife. So fucking nice. Ah, uh, let's take a look-see really quickly. Yeah. Don't you love that, like, on podcasts? I'm the person who's like, I'm going to check it out really quickly. You're looking stuff up. Oh, yeah. I do that all the time. Yes. If that's what I know of Portland. He's in Portland. I absolutely believe that. They were so nice. Yeah. He's Portlander. You do love Oregon. I love Oregon. I really do. I've They're probably done nicer than Canadians. They are so fucking nice. And they introduced me to, like, new coffee things that I've never even, like, would have thought to concoct. Like, it's great. That's very impressive for you. I know. Uh, being an aficionado that you are. I'm tr- okay, so Canadian influence on my music. We can, we can actually talk about that middle chunk of my playlist. Because three of those bands are Canadian and they did have like an impact on both me as a person and me as a writer. So, um, Arkell's Hey Rosetta and Dan Mangan are all like, um, kind of like 2010s Indies acts that I like Canadian Indies that I grew up. I kind of like grew up in the heart of those shows. And a lot of my like really good memories are, uh, centered around those bands and I learned something a little different from each of them that I, I wasn't really picking up on or like thinking of at the time. But I guess when I started uh, thinking about songs for this podcast, I'm hearing my I'm hearing myself say about and being like, oh, there's my fucking accent. There we go. <laughs> um, my Canadian raising. When I was thinking about it for this podcast, I realized that I had learned a lot from these three bands for writing. And so um, Arkell's I learned they're really, really good with creating a whole world in the span of a song. Like they tell a short story in the span of a song. I was going to say they felt very narrative driven. Yes, they are. And their characterizations are so sharp. Like to me, they are to indie music what Alice Monroe is to the short story. Mm -hmm. They're masters at creating these kind of like tiny worlds and these scenes and these characters that are very sharply drawn, but also universal enough that you you know these people that they're talking about so this this song that i have on the playlist the never thought that this would happen song is a song about two friends who just like unexpectedly hook up in a tent over like a long weekend everyone's all fucked up they're drunk and they just wind up in a tent making out together and they never expected it and they're kind of fucking weird about it afterwards and i just thought that was such a like such a sweet specific moment that was so relatable to so many people, but also grounded in these like beautiful details, like, um, like her woolly socks and Birkenstocks and she like bites his lip and he's like, or he bites her lip and he's worried that she's going to like give him a bad rating. And then they realize that they're both just nervous. And I thought that was like so beautiful and so human and they're masters at doing it in this compressed format. And so when I listen to their music, 
um, the thing that I'm picking up from that is how to tell a good story effectively in a, in a short, short frame of time. And that's important to know as a writer operating in, in this day and age, and especially in this kind of like online indie lit space, because microfiction is the trend, whether we like it or not. Microfiction is easier and quicker for editors to read and pick up. It's easier and quicker for writers to turn out and like gain an audience with. And whether we like it or not, that has to be a skill that you develop in, in order to kind of um, gain a following for your work so that by the time you have something longer, like a, like a book-length project to hook them with, then they already know, oh, I'm familiar with this person's work. So it's a skill that you have to pick up and get very good at. Um, and to me, Arkells are inspirational for how well they do that. Um, hey, Rosetta is a band that, um, like, their music, I, they're like a band that I've, haven't, don't, don't know of any kind of comparison before or since. Like, they're very, like, orchestral and very poetic, and, like, the only band that I can think of that maybe does it similarly might be Black Country New Road, but even then it's, like, not, they're a little more more like cacophonous and melodic, but he was that as a band I love, love, love. And um, what I learned from them was like diction and word choice. And um, it's like such a cliche to say, oh, the, the lyrics are very poetic, but like well and truly um, the lines that are in some of these songs that Tim Baker's written, uh, very poetically crafted and um like surprising word choices like i think he says in the first few lines of the song like long we were searching these serpentine streets for the signs of a spark fucking around in the dark and to me that kind of juxtaposition between like poetic language and like cursing or like bass language is something that i like to try and play around with in my own writing and um i learned a lot about that from listening to hey rosetta and they were a band that I listened to a lot when I first started writing. I went to Newfoundland to write. I, like, kind of burned my life down a little bit and fucked off to the rock <laughs> to, to write. And they're a band from Newfoundland. So they were very tied up in my experience there. And um, I had this, like a lot of people from Ontario do, I had this, like, very romantic notion of, fucking off to the east coast to like live by the ocean and it was like many fantasies not the thing you build up in your head but um uh hey rosetta was kind of part of this i guess for me part of this lore and um it's like your backstory vibe there, yeah kind of like i went <laughs> i went it sounds big and heroic to like go f burn your life down and go off and write. But the reality was, was I was like taking some like writing workshops at night at the university there. Um, and by day I was like <laughs> working in a chocolate factory and it was just like a series of profound embarrassments to be like, it was very humbling and like not, it was going there was not the dream I thought it was going to be. Um, it was hard. It was isolating. Uh, and then this chocolate job was <laughs> ridiculous. Like I, I could have, what did you do? Tables. Oh, we'll get to that. 
because I'm just like immediately the last time I heard anything about Chocolate Factory, my friend has a dad that worked with Jeffrey Dahmer at a chocolate factory in Wisconsin. Really? Yeah. That's so specific. I know. Jeffrey Dahmer. I know. Well, I didn't work with any serial killers that I know of. <laughs> but like, do but... you like stir the chocolate? Like, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. So they figured out pretty quickly that I did not have like the finesse or the dexterity to do fancy chocolates, like truffles, like I wanted to do. And I really wanted to do it, but I was just like, not cut out for it. I guess they decided I was not good enough to do that. So I did the most like basic ass thing you can do for making chocolate, which is to make chocolate bark. And you have to lay it out on these big trays and you have to bang the trays around to like get it to like, uh, layer properly kind of so and they wanted it was in this little like chocolate shop slash gift like chocolate factory slash gift shop in the heart of the downtown and they wanted it was like nice for customers to see the chocolate being made so they would put whoever was making the bark up on this little like platform in the middle of the store oh fuck that and, no it gets worse <laughs> i like so I go there and I'm in my like chocolatiers out like uniform, which is like kitchen scrubs. And I had my like little cap on and my hairnet and I'm banging around the chocolate and that's embarrassing enough. But like you have to, you have to temper the chocolate properly, which means like stirring the vat and you have to get it to a specific temperature in order for it to like look nice. So mm-hmm. if you've ever cracked open a chocolate bar in the middle of summertime and it looks white, it's because it's become distempered and it's like, melted to a point that it's not supposed to be at and that's why it looks all fucked up it's you could still eat it it's just distempered so if you get it to the proper temperature it's a very very specific temperature and the fancy people in the chocolate factory had a machine that would do this for them automatically they did not have to worry about that but me being like total plebeian that i was had to like stir the chocolate to get it to this temperature by myself i had to do it manually and like you'd like hold the way you would do it was like hold the spatula you can't see my hand but you'd hold the spatula less like you were stirring like eggs in a frying pan and more like you were holding a microphone so you would be holding it towards you and kind of shoveling the chocolate towards you so you can't see it but it looks like a jerk off motion like if you make a fist and you make a jerk off motion that's what i was doing over this vat of chocolate so i'm doing this in the middle of the store and i fucking move there at the end of tourist season and tourist season in newfoundland means cruise ships so i would be writing by night and then by day i'd be in my fucking chocolatier's uniform checking off chocolate yeah and i'd be in this store and the cruise ships would come in and they would empty out. And so hundreds of people would come in and they'd like buy their little souvenirs and they, they would like come up with their like iPads and phones and they would take like pictures of me. And oh, there are so many pictures of you out there now. <laughs> yes. Do you ever think yes. of that? <laughs> I do. And like, so like if I ever make it big at this thing and someone recognizes me, someone in fucking Japan or Germany or like, Texas can like point at me and say like, Hey, I saw her giving an aggressive handy J to a vat of chocolate in Newfoundland in 2015. That's that girl. Look at just a series of embarrassments. Yeah. I mean, that's the best kind of thing to have though. 
Well, it's a story I can tell you now, and if I don't laugh about it, and if I don't turn it into a joke, it will kill me. And it didn't stop there. Like, chocolate sounds like it'd be really fun to work with. I certainly thought so. But, like, it gets everywhere. Like, I would go home, and it would be in my ear, and I was like, I'm a tidy person. I don't know how this happened. I went to the bank one day, and I, because I had like a paycheck to cash, they didn't have direct deposit, so I had a paycheck, and I'm standing in line, and the teller's kind of like looking at me funny, and I'm like, what the, fu- what the fuck is your problem? And I would like go, and I went up, and I handed over the check, and she kind of looked at it like, oh, oh, okay, that makes sense, and I was like, what, what the fuck is your problem? And I left there, and I was so mad, I was all keyed up, I got in my car, and I like looked down, and we had to wear all black, and that day I had been working with white chocolate. <laughs> And because it's fucking all over me, I had like white streaks of white chocolate on my black pants. I looked like I was coming out of an amateur porn. (laughs) And it's hard to say if that's better or worse than coming up with like streaks of brown on your black pants. But yeah, just like never ending series of embarrassments. I'd like to say I can't relate, but I worked at a donut shop and yeah, same thing, actually. (laughs) Yeah, like anything to do with and food I is rough. I wore all black. Yeah. And did you get the annoying smell attached to your clothes, like from all the baking? No, uh, not so much with chocolate. But like when I've worked in restaurants and like I was a barista at one point, and you, yeah, you just go home smelling like kitchens or like smelling like yeah, and it's just on you always. Like yeah, For I wouldn't months, see that happen with chocolate. I smelled like yeah. donuts. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're probably covered in powdered sugar or whatever the fuck, sprinkles. It depended on whatever they wanted me to do. They started me as a fryer. I like to act like I'm so much cooler than I actually am, but I actually have a huge scar on my arm. Holy shit. That's how you know you've been in, like, a kitchen, though, is, like, the scars on people's arms, Yeah, because, right? yeah, I just, like, bumped the fryer, and it was, like, really quickly. Like, I barely touched that shit. And yeah. I just always act like it's something cooler because I just don't want to say it happened at a donut shop. You can say you got it when you fought that lady at the Bleachers concert. I know, right? Be like that fifty-year-old yeah. bitch, and I'll You're just like I shut her up. Yeah, I, I smacked her down. <laughs> like, look at this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Jack no, Antonoff, have... come hang out with me. Look at what I did. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any chocolate scars, but they're. <laughs> There are those scars of my soul thinking about those iPad videos that were in the world. I, I'm excited. Like, I almost want you to tweet out now exactly where you worked and then ask if anyone has any pictures. Oh, my. No, please don't. Aww. It was bad. It was my, like, my flop era for real. Because, like, <laughs> I want to know, like, what the uniform looked like, what they had you wear. How bad was the scenario of you jacking off the chocolate? It was, um... It's always worse when you're picturing it in your head, but, like, I've seen pictures of me and, like, the donut thing, and it's like, oh, I guess it didn't look that bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I was, like, red-faced because it was, like, hard work to do, and you're banging those trays around, and I'm sure I looked really cunty because I was just, like, mad people were taking pictures, but, oh, well, it's fine. I was just an anonymous person in a store. I'm sure probably no one would recognize me. See, what I love about jobs like that, and a lot of people I've spoken to who've had, like, fun, odd jobs like that, it's somehow landed into their writing. Do you think yeah, it ever I, will? Um, maybe. I, 
did just say? Like you're never going to have someone who's like a protagonist who makes chocolate. <laughs> I sometimes or stuff has like just... trauma from working at a chocolate <laughs> place, from having white streaks of chocolate in the bank one on her pants. Just be like um, a quick conversation on a first date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did this once. You should know. I think I would have to find an angle to it. Maybe like, like have, have it like, like where they get dessert and it's like, oh, no, I can't go near chocolate. And then you just go into that backstory. Yeah. <laughs> just like get like a distant look in your eye. The Kill Bill sirens in the background. Oh, my God. That'd um, be perfect. <laughs> I don't I don't think it would. I, I'll never say never. Okay. I didn't think I would write about the time I spent in banking, and then I, I like that worked its way into one of my stories. But it's such a it's Justin a thing. Bieber thing to say, by the way. What's what is? Never say never. Yeah, there you go. Never say never. You're Canadian. Is that a song of his? I think it is. I'm not. I'm You've not heard super him say familiar it. with. I'm not super familiar with Bieber, but like, I feel like we as a society have been too hard on him for too long. Like, I'm ready to see people yeah. ease up on Bieber. Him and like, Jaden. Uh, Jaden Smith did it. You know what? It's one of those things where I just don't give a fuck about him. Like, I don't feel one way or the other about Bieber other than that. I think it's like the low hanging fruit to hate on him. Like if someone were to play baby, I would dance. Like, yeah, especially if I had some alcohol in me, like I, I wouldn't be ashamed. He put out some songs. He has recently. some good bangers well, lately too. Yeah, like I, I like the. Uh, I think he had like people kind of producing, either tropical house or like progressive house type stuff for some of his songs, and I like I tend to like those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, like sorry or anyway, yeah, about a Canadian thing to say. Moving on to more Canadian content that's better to talk about than Bieber. That's gonna be like the, the last... title of this Canadian content. Oh no, no CanCon as a whole. I could tell you all about CanCon laws and how it's actually like written into broadcasting laws here that they have to like they have to play a certain amount of Canadian content. They're like mandated legally to like play this to promote canadian culture it's a whole thing we could talk about i don't think it's worth making i don't think it's worth making the title of this episode but uh it it is like that is it's a big thing yeah i mean it's a it's a good thing and a bad thing and i have lots of opinions on it but um and i used to think that america was too crazy (laughs) yeah it's just like because american culture has such a massive influence here and because there's such a huge appetite for it and because canadians are fucking weird and envious of the states all the time really we want to move to your country oh canadians are so weirdly horny for the u.s like there's just like maybe not so much in the last 10 years but there's just this notion i think that things are so much better in the u.s that people have kind of like some some people have more than others i think have you not paid attention that every presidential election everyone's like we're gonna move to canada yes that's that's like very recent thing in recent memory though like i remember growing up people being people thinking that the u.s was better in a lot of ways like not that they weren't proud to be canadian but all your greatest artists live here but yeah 
Yeah, they're all they're all exports. They all have to like leave to make it really big. But it it's like a whole conversation we have. But like the influence of American culture is so massive that they did kind of make it a point. I think in the sixties to like really promote Canadian culture, and so there's like grants that go into like helping Canadian artists, and then. Um, there's like a whole kind of system that helps. See, it's sad though because once that. you get the Canadian artists, they just leave. The really big ones do, yeah. Yeah, we got um, Tegan and, and Sarah then, all up in here. Yeah, and you, but then you get these like little these indie acts, like the ones on my list, where they're really equally as good, but they're kind of slept on mm-hmm. because like they're maybe really well known here, but not as well known in the States. So these three are really big ones for me. I mean, when it comes um, to bands like this, they're kind of the ones that tend to be, I don't want to like hate anything, but I'm imagining more like mid tier, like venues. Yes. Yeah, so they don't seem like right. they would be doing like huge tours. So we never would have heard of them or seen them. No, and it, I think it's really hard too for Canadian acts to like tour the U.S. Like, it, like the tour circuit's just a bit different here. Like, I know people in bands who say like they play the same kind of circuit in either Southern Ontario or maybe like the Northeastern United States. Um, but it's hard for them to kind of break out of that for a lot of reasons. Like, for a band to from here to tour the U.S most of the time you will just see it at, like you said, like mid-tier type venues, like maybe like a, oh, like not an arena, but like a, like, and not like a club, but something in between that. So that's like a big Chicago is full of those. Yeah. We're yeah, like exactly. the city of mid-sized venues. I feel like, I kind of, I love going to a show at a mid-sized venue though. I, I, mean, I really I love dig going it to, too. Yeah. I love going to shows at, like dive bars and stuff, but um, oh, those are like good small, too. Yeah, like small club acts, but like I think a good mid-sized venue. See, I could do like mid-sized, shows, so. and then I really like music festivals. Those are my main yeah concert things. Festivals are really dope because you can see so many acts like all at once, and they're usually like if if the if the event itself is well curated, it's like its own experience. Like I've been to a couple that have a a very good vibe for lack of a better word. I went to a couple last year that really did that. It was like a whole event. Up until the pandemic, I would go to a music festival every year, but obviously that slowed down. Well, you guys have Lollapalooza. That's such a massive one, right? You're spoiled for that. We got that and Riot Fest is pretty amazing. That's actually growing a lot. And it's so easy. Like if I wanted to go to Bonnaroo or sign, that's just a couple hours South. Yeah, see, that's more of a trek for us up here. Like, I have friends who have been to, like, Lollapalooza and Bonnaroo, and it's, like, a big deal for them to travel as far as they do to get there. So I I think if we had more in, like, a short distance... Like, it's a big deal for me. Uh, Ottawa has, like, a a pretty large... um, blues fest it goes for a week and they have pretty good acts but i know and that's a big deal to me as somebody who used to have to travel eight hours to get to see the bands that i wanted but i know that people who live here think that it's like not that big a deal or not as good as elsewhere and two hours away if you go to montreal you have oshiaga i went to oshiaga last summer it was amazing and i think that when it's a bit closer it, it feels more accessible um, I feel so I like used to growing up with lazy because like 
I think I'm five minute walk away from the train right now. Yeah. Unless I actually decide to pick up the pace, at which point maybe it's two minutes. And that would probably just take me straight to Lollapalooza. So. Yeah. See, that's in like under an hour. I don't think that's lazy. That's just like you grew up a place where you had access to that. And that's incredible. Um, I think that like, like it stops me from doing it though, where I'm just like, I gotta go all the way on the train. Yeah. That's literally just walking two minutes. Yeah. It's, I think it's one of those things where if you grow up near it, you take it for granted because it's just always going to be there, right? If it's not this year, it's next year or whatever. So I guess the last one I'll talk about that's like Canadian related and for music on this list is Dan Mangan. Mm-hmm. And I love everything Dan does. Um, but this song, particularly Basket, is I think a really good case for first person narrative. And my, my, preference and the thing that I learned a lot from this song particularly not all of the songs are like this but this one is that first person is so persuasive and interior and I just prefer that as opposed to like the distance of third person mm-hmm. um, I, and I know some writers feel really strongly about this that like they don't feel like they should have or can have or want to have access to that much interiority for their characters they want a bit of distance but to me I want to dive in. I want to be in my character's head. And I love working with voice. I think it's one of my strengths. I love playing with it. I think it's a lot of fun to do. All my favorite writers are very voicey writers. Like, they have a very distinct voice. And this song, um, well, you've listened to it, so you know that it's it's the perspective of a person who's, I'm pretty sure it's a man, who's dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And the way that the song's structured kind of mimics the like ebbs and flows of that of like your memory coming and going, and it's such a fucking heartbreaking song, and it would not be as heartbreaking or as like gripping if it weren't told in first person from this this person's point of view and what they're going through and there's like do you know that part in the song where they he gets to like oh, we're old and our son took the dog away. And you're, and like, I can't hit that point in this song without bursting into tears say, every like, single fucking time. It's an emotional one. It's so fucking emotional. And then like, it builds up to that point and it's so well structured. It builds up to that point where, um, I think it may be the three minute mark or something. He, he gets this burst of lucidity and he says, well, fuck this. I'm, I'm going to like, steal a car or a bike and I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Like presumably he's in a home or something and he's going to like take off and paint the town red. And he's like, he's going to do it. He's back. And then, then, then it breaks and it kind of trails off into nothing. Mm -hmm. And, and he goes back into that state of like, I don't remember anything again. And that's something that you, you could not to me. If you had told that story, from third person of saying, oh, so-and-so's going through this and so-and-so felt like this, it would not be as persuasive as you did it with first person when you're in that person's head and experiencing what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say that this song particularly taught me the value of that and taught me that 
developing that voice is worth doing, especially if you want to persuade someone of an idea or you want to really get your reader immersed in a specific feeling. It has to be very visceral. And, um, yeah, the, this song just breaks my heart every time I listen to it. It's really beautiful. It has a, a lot of Dan's work. As, um, so in terms of, like, Canadian influence on my writing, that's, like, a good high-level summary of, like... say that's great. Canadian and music influence, like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking I'm of, like, you liked it. immersive... I'm going to put you on the hot seat really quickly. What do you think okay. the most immersive bit of writing you've done is? Um, so I guess I have two answers for this, and one of them can kind of segue into, like, the last part of the podcast. Or, like, the last part of the playlist, the last part of the playlist, anyway. I'm having so much fun talking to you. I hope it's okay that we're going on like this. So I've I've written some pieces in the last year, some short fiction and some short like CNF pieces that I never thought I would or could write. And um, they were heavy personally. There's one in particular I'm thinking of that I, I would not have written had uh, I wrote it for identity theory and they had just kind of I had tweeted something about being really upset. Um, I'm estranged from my family and every so often my mom reaches out and when she, and for the most part, I'm fine. It's like a good, um, it was a good choice for me. It was the healthiest choice I could have made, but every so often my mom reaches out and, uh, it's really hard and, um, it's really jarring and I have to kind of like emotionally recover from seeing it. And, um, I had tweeted about it and uh, the identity theory account, I think it's Matt Borundy who runs it, um, had kind of like suggested I write about it or like had like low-key suggested I write about it. And I pulled up my computer and kind of turned it into this CNF piece about that was like grappling with how I felt about being estranged and these kind of like little blips these like little emotional blips that happen that are really seismic and um, you have to sort of periodically deal with and get over. And I talked about how I, the estrangement for me was so bad that I, I legally changed my last name. I wanted to belong to myself. And that was a story that I never thought I would tell. Like I, I, I did, I wasn't sure how to tell it. And it was just this specific string of events on this day that happened that I was able to, like, turn it into a story and tell the story. And the story was really well-received and very kindly received. And I had people, some people reach out and say that they were also estranged and understood how I felt. And, like, um, that was so validating and good. But it was very immersive in the way that it was, like, physically very difficult to, to write um, cause it's sort of like tearing something out of your guts, uh, to write. I was sobbing and I was very achy after I wrote it. I, I don't think that I finished it without crying, crying my eyes out. So that was really immersive and that's really fucking heavy to hit you with. Sorry. Oh but, no, um, I, this is what we're here for. <laughs> that's yeah, that was really immersive. I wrote another piece for 
that wound up at tramp set. Holy shit. Um, that's the one that I'm looking at. <laughs> oh, did you? Wow. Yeah. yeah that piece. Inside like mine. Also, yeah. It's a, it's a bummer. That's for sure. That, but it was, it's I'm very true. Say I was, and I, that's my favorite. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's so kind. I will say that piece I wrote in a very like heart achy time. And, um, it was about it. I kind of structured it like a letter to an old friend. And, um, I will say the thing that I like about it is that it gives an emotion very heavily that just sits with you. Yeah. Like a lot of my work is, I like to try and be funny and crack jokes and be glib, but at the same time, like there's enough, there's this other part of me that's, um, like you kind of almost have to sit with it for a while. Yeah. And that, that whole piece was me kind of grappling with, um, this like intense need to be vulnerable, but an also equally intense need to, to guard myself against hurt for a lot of reasons. And, um, vulnerability versus self-preservation for me is like such a massive struggle in my life. And, um, I was kind of grappling with that on the page. And this one friend, I remember having these long chats with her and she, she would talk about why it was important to not be so open all the time Hmm. uh, or to like guard yourself a little bit more. Like she, she taught me a bit more than I knew about being guarded in all different kinds of relationships uh, particularly in romantic relationships, but, um, and it, it had this impact on me where, uh, you know, that I didn't realize for a long, long time. Like I just, if there's any possible, like, I just see myself reacting in situations now. And if there's any possible chance someone's going to hurt me, I just shut myself down and I compartmentalize it. And, keep my distance. And, um, I was sort of coping at that or grappling with that moment at at that moment with, does this actually keep me safe and healthy? Does this actually, like, does this, is this reaction or the way that I react, is it damaging to me? Is it bad that I'm like this? Can I change it? Is it too late to change it? And I was grappling with all these things and writing that piece. And it was, um, it was a very hot day. Uh, and I was writing it on my balcony and, um, that was also really immersive cause it, it felt like dredging up a lot and almost like having like a fucking therapy session just with me in this piece. And it was another one that was really resonant. Thank you for telling me that you liked it. Um, I even, sometimes I go back and read it and I even have to like recognize that, uh, it might be a lifelong thing that I deal with that this kind of struggle between like really wanting to open my heart to people, but also, um, feeling like I need to just withdraw if there's any sign of like trouble or if there's any sign that someone's going to hurt me, um, and feeling like, uh, yeah, just, I remember how I felt at the time that I wrote it and I was, uh, my heart was really heavy and, um, it sort of puts me back into writing that on this hot day and coping with that. And, um, I'm really proud of it. Those, those were two pieces that were really immersive and very, very 
very deeply personal for me to write in the last year. Um, so that those are very much hard on my sleeve for those ones. Are and you ever worried about being too vulnerable in your writing? Always. Always. I think that's, I think when you're a fucking fiction writer, you hedge a million different ways, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why you go with fiction. Cause you have this, this, this veil of like, I, I am putting for all my fucking huge talk about vulner about, uh, sorry, about like interiority and not liking distance. There is a kind of distancing you do with fiction where you can kind of take process things that have happened to you or imagine things that might happen to you or ways your life might have gone or whatever, all these things. And you can kind of mix them up and you can have a bit of distance and a bit of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like plausible deniability to say, that's not me, but also it is kind of me, but it's not me, but also it's kind of me. So, But the people who vul- know you, they know it's you. Yeah, like like the people who really know me um, when they read my work, and I, I try not to be perceived or like amplify it too much with people that know me in my real life. That's very weird for me. I'm coming to terms with that. But the people that have that have read my work have said, that's your voice. I know that's you. Mm-hmm. And that's such a huge fucking compliment. When, when some people online reach out and say, this is your voice. I know this is you. That's also a massive compliment. Cause that means they've spent enough time with your work to say, I, I see you. I recognize that that's your signature. And what a, what a beautiful way to like validate. But in terms of vulnerability, that happens all the time, whether I'm writing on Twitter or whether I'm writing in fiction or whether I'm writing in CNF, I'm always, always, always scared of giving too much of myself away. Always. And I, that's why I I stick, I tend to be a little bit, I stay glib on Twitter. Same. Um, and I have a very hard time as a person. I'm so fucking stubborn and I'm very self-reliant and I don't like admitting when I'm struggling. And I, I have found that, when I do sometimes open up online that people are really kind, but there's still this like barrier inside me that just doesn't want to do it and really regrets it or feels like I have like a a vulnerability hangover after I do it. But see, I I think it's almost like, uh, I was going to put like a gender role thing on it, but I don't know. I'm always terrified. Like I almost never put, my actual emotions, my, like my legit emotions on Twitter. Like yeah. I would not want anyone to judge that shit. Cause like, I think I feel a lot more like how the words you write are, but I would never say that. Yeah. Like I would say that if I am going through something really heavy and difficult, the thing that I'm going to, like going towards is making a joke. I'm going to make a joke of it. I'm going to make a joke of it. I'm going to make a joke of it. If I don't joke about it, it'll fucking kill me. But very often it's sort of like the Greek masks, right? It's comedy and tragedy. And those are two sides of that coin. And I think that's that, exactly what I'm doing every time. Like, Oh, yeah, it is. my mental illness. Uh, it's totally fucking hilarious. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think that when I see people on Twitter who, who, operate in that same way where they're just cracking joke after joke after joke. I'm like, 
I see you and I get that and I speak that language and I know you're as sad as I am. And there's something to me, there's something to me that's kind of comfortable, like comforting about that. Like my people, I get it. You're cracking jokes, but also you're dying a little inside. Cool. But some people surprise you. Like, as I could say, I won't name names, but sometimes like I've gotten onto the phone with some of the people and I'm just like, whoa, you're depressed too. Wow. Okay. We're going to walk this shit back. Oh, you mean like you were surprised that they were depressed because they they seemed cheerful online? Oh, yeah. Some people, like, they hide that shit like crazy. Yeah. like I, They build I, a persona to the point where it's like you would never guess. I have no... I don't really have, like, a concept of how I come across to people online. But I do know that, like, I had, like, told some friends online how much I had struggled in the last year like last year was fucking horrible for me it was really hard I was depressed and sick most of it and like it got really fucking dark and I had I like had you know gotten into conversations with people and um they said I never would have guessed Mm -hmm. because of how you like conduct yourself online you seem like nothing but cheerful and I'm like that's an effort and that's a choice that's like me choosing how to show up every single day and if I can't show up if I can't show up like that I just won't log in and I won't tweet. So that that's where that vulnerability piece comes in of like, if I'm struggling and I'm suffering, I don't want people to witness that and I don't want to talk about it. And so I just like opt out. And I think that, um, I those think those are the days that, when you'll find the most like bland tweets come from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause you're kind of like, it's an effort to make this joke or if it's, it's an effort to put any personality into this because I don't feel it right now. And I think that, I think that depression takes a lot of fucking forms, right? Like it doesn't have Mm. to look like a sad person. Like I could be a person in a room cheerful and cracking jokes and be fucking depressed out of my mind. Oh, hell. But yes, like I'm cracking jokes because uh, that's what I do to deal with it. So like how yeah. we discussed in the area that we're going to cut. See, this is fun. This gets people intrigued yeah. that we cut a part of this episode. <laughs> yeah, we we got so we got so fucking heavy with it and then we laughed and we laughed and we laughed because Gallo's humor mm-hmm. sometimes helps. It sometimes helps. So, uh I guess the other thing I would say for immersive writing, a different kind of immersive is like um novels or book-length projects. And, um, I, that's a different kind of immersive in the way that you're in that for years. Mm-hmm. Like that's your, that's your focus for years and you live and you breathe it and you're obsessed with it. And it's sort of like, it's like a puzzle that your mind is just constantly working at. And I love it. I love that kind of immersive. It's like much more exciting and fulfilling. And when those pieces click into place, it's such a beautiful like sorry to be fucking corny about it but it's it's a high it's a high all unto itself and that kind of immersive is like much more fun to deal with than the kind where you're like dragging up all your feels and vomiting them for no money at whatever lit mag online (laughs) (laughs) not not that you're like not that you're not dragging up all your feels into your book for no money that also happens but like it's just, it's a different kind of immersive, like my, my short pieces or the things that I publish online are like things I kind of fuck around and find out with. And then if I'm writing a novel, it's where I'm sort of sorting out 
bigger ideas and bigger, like everyone, I'm not unique. I'm not fucking special in this way, but Mm. it's where I get to sort out bigger things that I'm preoccupied with, like bigger things in the world. And I, I like the process of stewing in that for a long time. And I think sort of like with a thesis, you have to really love the thing you're writing about and be really obsessed with it and so deeply obsessed with it that if no one else cares, you fucking care. And that's enough for you to get up and do it every day. Um, that kind of immersive, I, I find it's like a high. I love it so much. I say that even as I'm, I'm like avoiding my, my second novel <laughs> right now. <laughs> but it, like, it, what are you working on yeah. now? Uh, I am working on a new one that I, I did the first half of in the fall. I wanted to just knock out a really quick, shitty first draft, and I wanted yeah. to do it in three months. And then that was an insane thing to think I could do, especially when I was as fucking depressed as I was. Um, but I ha- I'm halfway through it, and it's all it's all laid out on my wall. Like, I have my unhinged wall of post-it notes that like oh, do you have like the cool like string that like connects each post-it note like you're like trying to solve a mystery it doesn't look like a like a pepe silvia board no but mm. uh it is very elaborate and i'm very proud of it like it's the thing i'm most proud of in my life right now but it once because it's it looks perfect there but then once you get onto the page it looks like fucking garbage you're like this is not at all what it looks like in my head and you have to sort of suffer through that first draft to like start shaping it in the way that you want but um yeah, i feel like I'm, you need to I'm, take a picture of this and post it i mean i i can and i have but i will have to like blur out the details yeah blur out the details <laughs> it's, don't give anything it's, away yeah it's still just a blob but I, it's i'm so excited about it and it's been like maybe a year in the making Ooh. and i feel really good about where it's going so that that kind a title? of immersive or a working title? No, no working title for this yet. But, uh, yeah. See, I'm, everybody I'm, hates titles. <laughs> you know, I don't, it's funny to like name short fiction because you just pull the most ridiculous line out and you're like, what's going to get the best chance of it getting a click? And then you just like name it that thing. And it's like, usually it's like cheap tricks, right? Like I think I have a piece with rejection letters coming out next week and I didn't have a title for it when I submitted it to DT. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to title it. Sorry, I left you blue balled on a flight to Vegas, which is like such a, it's such a cheap trick thing to do to like generate a click to be like, make it kind of filthy and funny. But, uh, that short fiction or CNF is easier to title than books. Like titling a book, did you find it hard to title your book? Um, not really, but that's because okay, it originally was called Hype, but then during the pandemic, the title changed, and it's just because I started listening to a lot of folk music, and yeah, I got really into uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Did you? Yeah. And then how did how they did have that, a song like... called "The Only Living Boy in New York"? Oh, and so that's like an homage to that. That's cool. Yeah. So that's the vibe. So And so that's that's a way that music influenced your writing. I like that. Oh bro, music influences all of it. Why do you think I have a podcast about it? (laughs) 
I think it's incredible. This is such a fucking public service that you're doing because what I mean, what else do writers love? Two things. They love banging on about their own work and they love banging on about the stuff that informs their work. So if I was not telling you today, I would be muttering it at the walls. Probably. This is a dream. Dude. And I I love about this. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're really, you're, this is a dream conversation for me to have. (laughs) And, and thank you for the opportunity to do it because I'm psyched um, that you wanted to be on. Oh, it was like, I was so thrilled. I can't even tell you. And like, I, the, the novels that I'm writing are very specifically based on the lives of musicians. So like to be able to come on a podcast and say, Hey, all this stuff, it, it, I've been obsessed with it for years and now I get to talk to you about it. That's fuck. And you want to listen? And and other people want to listen and ask me fifty questions apparently, but like, that's in, that's it's a dream. It's wonderful. I can't even tell you. And like, I uh, these like last eight. If I could go back to the the playlist, if you don't mind, the last oh, eight, yeah. the last eight on the list. We don't have to go into them like um, specifically, but they played a really heavy part in inspiring or like. Uh, like curating the vibe. That's such a cringy fucking phrase, even as it comes out of my mouth, but like they developed a vibe for the first novel that I wrote that, um, I'm going to be. Can I ask like, do you listen to it a lot before writing while writing? Um, both. So it's stuff that I, uh, that I spend kind of obsessed listening to for a long time. And then if, if I listen on your repeat list, Yes. And if I listen to it to a point where I start, I get really fascinated with the lives of artists, musicians particularly, and like the ebbs and flows of their, their lives, particularly um, how they develop as artists and the phases that they go through in their careers. Um, and I spent a lot of time reading about it. It's another thing that when I'm bored, I just like look it up at work. I love the lore of music and musicians like like a lot of people do I, I get very nerdy about it and um if I listen to a genre or to a band often enough where I get really obsessed and develop a lot of like thoughts or feelings or opinions about um the music that they're making and I'm obsessed enough about it I'm like oh I have to write about this I have to get this out of my system because if I don't write about it the next stop is just like me and a sandwich board on a street corner shouting about it or me being like a fucking weirdo in the corner of like a Reddit thread somewhere to the point where I'm weirding people out about it because I'll be up at 4 a.m. thinking and thinking and thinking about it. And so writing a book about it is kind of the only way I can sort through all the feelings or the thoughts I have about it. And my first, and so that's the off, so I'll be thinking about it and listening to that for a long time. And then when it comes time to write, um, I'll be playing that same music sometimes at an ear splitting volume while I'm doing the writing. So I need it so loud. It rattles my teeth. And very often I need it louder than iPhone will allow me. iPhone does that little thing where it says, Oh, it hey, has the ear I, option. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I'm glad you're enjoying this, but also your eardrums. And I'm like, la la la, la I can't hear you. Don't ruin my vibe iPhone. Um, <laughs> but I need it louder than it will give it to me. And so loud that it, it, gets kind of drony and then I can disappear into it. And, um, if I'm moving around too, sometimes I'll be moving around 
and that helps me or like dancing to it. And that'll like help me kind of get my brain going or thinking about it. So it's, it's, it's a part of all of it and I can't escape from it. And all the research that I do around it is into like, um, you know, just like into the lore around those bands or those musicians. And, uh, my first novel is kind of loosely based on garage band, like Can garage rock duos. more about that one? Yeah, of course. Um, so the working title right now is better to beg, which my, my editor, Adrian, hi, Adrian. Um, she said she's not sold on the title. She, she, she thinks I should change it, but that is the working title for now. And it's, um, about a, an early aughts indie band and they're like a duo and it's like a man and a woman in a band and they're, they're kind of going on one last tour. Like the guy's a bit of a fuck up and, and like a dope and she's really kind of hard and ambitious and cynical and they're foils for each other. And, um, he kind of fucks up and he misses a really big show where they like had a shot at getting a record deal or whatever. And so she's okay, we're going on a tour and this is like the last thing. And, um, they're trying to get this record deal, but they're going about it in different ways. Like she's, she's doing it really seriously and pursuing it and really needing to get a record deal to like validate her dream. She's like, I have to get this in order to, for this to be valid, for it to be worth it. And he's kind of freewheeling and he, he already knows he's a fuck up and he's, he figures he's just going to like work on his like myth and he's never done drugs. So he goes out and like does a bunch of drugs for the first time thinking that that's like going to help. He's doing it for the image. memoir. Yeah. To like create this image of a rock star. And he, he feels like this will just like help. Cause he, cause he's like, this is like how he's going to help her. Cause he feels like he already fucked up too much. I feel like I know those he... kind of people go on. Yeah. So I wrote about the, yeah. And they go on this tour and they're kind of, um, they're, they're trying to confront what success looks like when you're starting out in a career, when you're trying to get ahead or like, and the whole process of the novel was me just fucking coaching myself through writing the novel. I didn't realize that. I thought it was about a whole bunch of other things, like... But I got through the first draft and realized... Or the first or second draft and realized, oh, this is just... Me coaching myself through the process of writing a novel. And when you're when you're putting so much of yourself into something, like this band is, or like I am with my work, and you're kind of toiling away in obscurity, you, in order to survive not survive this isn't vietnam jesus christ calm down but like in order to in order to deal with making art or being creative you have to detach yourself from the outcome and what success looks like and you have to get up every fucking day and say to yourself if no one fucking cares if no one reads this if no one listens if no one sees it is it still worth doing and the answer has to be yes Otherwise, what the fuck are you doing? Because you cannot control when the money comes. You can't control when you get, like, record deals or book deals or whatever the fuck. You can't control how many people see it or how they're going to react to it. And so you just have to get up every day and decide, as trite as it is to say that, that was a thing I had to learn that I'm still having to learn. Um, every time I, I write something, I have to be so detached from the outcome and just decide I'm going to do it. Fuck it because I want to because I'm compelled to, and that has to be enough. 
So that is my elevator pitch for that book, and that is what the, the book is about. And the last eight, are you laughing at me? No, I think that's a good elevator pitch. I, I like that. Good. Oh, I'm glad. Okay. I was like, I'm hearing myself get real heated about this. I hope it's coming across okay. And no, also, it's, good. it's it's hard to do an elevator pitch for your book. It's like hard to distill it, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's like the plot piece and then there's like the theme piece. And, and I hope that gives you an accurate impression of the book. <laughs> but it's it was also about, I wanted to write about these these early aughts indie bands and also the way th- the ways that they were deciding to make art and make a go of it at the time that we came of age, which is like the 9-11 and we're on Iraq age and like... Um, you know, that choice to pursue art in a time of like precarious work or precarious living or, um, so it's like partly a coming of age novel generally, and partly a coming of age novel is like an artist. There's a specific word for that. Kunzelroman. I'm just butchering it. It's super, it's super fucking German. It's like an artist novel. Yes, exactly. That thing. Yeah. Yes, that's what I figured out. That's what I like doing. My first novel's like that. My second novel's like that. I, the third one that I have planned is like that. It's the thing that I'm most fascinated with. And, yeah. So when do you think that novel will be out? Later this year. I'm making plans for it. I can't say what exactly. I'm keeping it close to the chest, but you will say it later this year, and I'm very, very excited. Like most writers, as you said, like would like be whoring themselves out, like plastering information everywhere. Oh no, baby, I will be. Don't that part will come. But for okay. now it's just kind of like um keeping it close to the chest and being very excited to reveal what I have to reveal. But I, it's sort of like you don't want to talk a big game until you can show up for it. You know what I mean? Like I don't I know. Be able I feel to... like it's in the lit world, they almost expect you just to do it anyways. I think I think one of my most firmly held beliefs is, like, if you're going to come, come correct. I like that. And so if I'm going to come, I'm coming correct. I'm going to do it exactly when I'm ready. So, And I'm very excited for, like, the, the world. Whoever – I there was this tweet I shared with a friend of mine recently – I was telling her how much I loved her book and she's saying, oh, she just debuted last month and she's like, you know, kind of going through the highs and lows of debuts. And I shared that tweet with her. Have you seen it where it talks about how the mass audience has had like a bad effect on art and you should just like write for 30 sickos at most? Have you seen this tweet? No. It's the basic premise of it is like, don't write for a mass audience write for 30 sickos at most find your 30 sickos and write for them and so wherever my 30 sickos are i'm so excited to uh release this book and maybe they'll care about them because i'll be one of those sickos hey thank you i appreciate that when i meet you i'm gonna ask you to sign my tits Amazing. Well, I would like for you to sign mine. Full circle. It would be mutual yeah. tit signing. We're just we're giving <laughs> the people in your DMs so much more fodder now. I said I didn't I want to talk about tits on this podcast, and here we are. But then we just brought it up ourselves. It's okay. We did absolutely. That'll be so good. We'll take a picture of it. No, we're not though. No, we'll just keep that to ourselves. The, what what happens in Chicago stays in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm assuming I'm going to come see you in Chicago. I've never been to Chicago. Unless I get my dream of going to Canada. I mean, if you're going to Canada, people have, like, very defined ideas of, like, what Canada... The th- the piece you always see is, like, in Alberta. It's those beautiful lakes and the mountains in Alberta. Which is, like... I've always wanted to go to Montreal. Montreal's fucking dope. I will say that. If you want to come hang in Montreal, I'm happy to go with you. It's a great city. And that yeah. that one festival is absolutely worth going for. Oshiaga is a great festival. Sadly, though, I know I won't be traveling there anytime soon i have a lot of trips planned over the next couple months that's fair i didn't think we were making the plans yet we will when you've got time you let me know where are you headed in the next while oh dear god a lot of places um we will be hitting up la and also portland again um astoria more it's like two hours from portland and then we're going to go to greece and then south africa and then Holy shit. Here, yeah. You really are a nomadic. That's so great. Oh, and Egypt. Holy fucking shit. Oh, I'm so thrilled for you. That's amazing. Yeah, we're getting married in Egypt. Oh, congrats. So that's that's who we are. No, that's incredible. Wow. Yeah. Oh, man. That's the dream. Is that all this year? Yeah, all this year. That's... And if you want a fun musical vibe, we're getting married on September 28th because my fiance is a Swifty and Taylor Swift has a cover of the song September, but instead of the 21st of September, she says the 28th of September. That's that's very that's very Swiftian of him to be like I I know. specific insight. So so let me get this straight. Your fiance is a Swifty but you weren't. Correct. And where are you now in this journey? In this journey, I would say that I like the songs that I like. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, 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 I would never go to this, like, Eras tour. I've heard that it's a shit show. Like, it's over five hours long, if oh, wow. you count the opening bands. Um, hell, even going to that, like, Taylor Swift dance party was intimidating for me. And, like, I only knew, like, six of the songs the rest of it i just saw a lot of drunk white girls falling all over themselves yeah i think i got on the taylor swift bandwagon very late in the game and so i i would consider myself a fan now but not in the way that a lot of other people are and i my i think with that is that like she her fans that came of age with her and went through all those same feels that she had at the same time she was having them. I think that they're a bit more like, I don't want to use the word rabid, that's not fair, but like, they're a bit more invested, let's say invested, than someone who comes to it later because they're kind of curious and maybe they heard an album that they liked. Or like, for me, I was more interested in the Taylor Swift lore at the beginning, again, because I look up, I just get curious about artists and I was bored at work one day and I didn't have anything to do. So I went down... I, I read a lot of think pieces about Taylor Swift. I went on to Taylor Swift think hole and I was curious about what she did after she kind of fell from grace. Like, you know, that like reputation mm-hmm. era where she was like canceled and she was like, I'm going to turn this around and make a whole album out of it. And I find that I found that really interesting. What does someone do to reinvent themselves 
when they've had a very public fall from grace like that. And she's, I think, really smart and very canny in the way that she recognizes that she has to, like lots of pop stars do, reinvent herself, like those eras. She has to reinvent herself every album cycle or draw out these facets of her personality for public consumption. And that's either very cynical in the way that she's doing it to be marketable to people. It could also be very empowering in the way that she gets to explore all these facets of herself. And maybe that's liberating too. I would say I respect the work that she puts in and I heavily respect what she's done really for female musicians Obviously, it's happening more and more, like, as we, like, go into the Miley Cyrus now, too, where it's acceptable to be a pop musician who's in their 30s. But, yeah, I I definitely do. I don't think that I look at any star as, like, a flawless icon. I always see the negatives as well. Yeah. And... You're not a stan. I think stan culture is bananas... Like being that really invested, is. like I think that it's it's really interesting to look at artists as the the like you have to remember that's a person, right? And you can't just be like out here defending the indefensible sometimes just because what you've like they have political beliefs, they make fuck ups, they're just they're another human. human being. They're human, yeah. And when we elevate them to that that part where they're they're more an idea of themselves than they are just like a person they are what they represent to people i think about that stuff a lot too a lot of them though like as we go like say to taylor swift or beyonce they very purposely do that where like they are like mythological they are very like selective as to what they say do or like represent and they they play with image in that way and um i mean it's hard to know how much of that is disingenuous when there's money involved, right? Like it is genuine to like she she's gotten very good at people still believing she's very genuine in her songwriting. That's and what stuff. I find so fascinating. But also, she's like a marketing genius, right? So the amount of people that she clearly employs, yeah. Or, like, that famous, like, jet shit show last year where she, like, had a jet that she... I just found that one funny that, was... that people were shocked about it. Yeah. Like, really? It's Taylor Swift. Of course she's got a jet that's probably going all over the place. Yeah, and of course she's, like, renting it out when she's not using it for tour and all kinds of stuff. Like, but... what, you think she's just going first class? She's Taylor Swift. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh but that, you're not running into her on a plane. So you're, I'm so curious about this dynamic, the Swifty, non-Swifty dynamic with you and your fiancé. And he, that's really, it's, it's so loving of you to be like, we will get married on this specific day because this specific Taylor Swift song with this specific <laughs> reference. Like, what a loving thing to do for a person. That's so wonderful. And in Egypt, that's how, just did, the stuff we how do. did you land on Egypt? Well, that one's more for me, I well, think. There you, there's the compromise. And yeah, he knows I love history. On our very first um, anniversary of when we were dating, obviously, he got me a drachma that was from an archaeolo- archaeological dig from Egypt. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Man, I'm yeah, so happy for you. That's the necklace you'll always see me wearing, so yeah. Very cool. 
I'm so happy for you. You've, you, God, you've got a whole year ahead of you, and you're just out here churning out podcasts and planning these trips. And God, you're impressive. And writing and like crazy, like mm, you have no idea. You're very not really impressive at all, though. No, it is very impressive. You're very busy. I think. Do you know what I think is the loveliest, coolest, best? I, I know there's like there's lots to grape about with Twitter and everything, but. Um, this community of people on Twitter, I know there's always problems because wherever there's people, there's bullshit. But I think it's so fucking inspiring. This is, I'm about to get real corny on you. Beware. It's so fucking inspiring <laughs> to log in to Twitter every day and see people making things and sharing them and and doing things like making lit mags or podcasts or... or doing their own thing and also doing whatever they can to support the work of others, like helping to like publish other people. Fuck. That's inspiring. And like, especially at a time where it's so fucking overwhelming to be alive and there's so much that demands your attention and the existential dread is overwhelming. Always like there's so many things to be that demand your attention. And then you get people who log on and like care enough to read your work or to share it or to tell you that they like it, or to to cheer other people on, I think that's fucking great. Like, for you to be doing Maudlin House, and this podcast, and writing your novels, and this wonderful, adventurous life you have, like, that is very impressive. Don't sell yourself short. That's so fucking cool. It's like, I don't want to make myself seem like a better person than I am, but I mean, you might be morally. It is shady. actually really why. No, for all actually, I know. <laughs> okay, I do have some fucked up opinions, so that's okay. I won't share them. But and I do actually dislike some people in the lit world very heavily. They may or may not know. That's fair. But and again, wherever the- I founded Maldon House and the podcast because well, Maldon House. I didn't think people had like a good enough place, like a space to actually get their work out. And, like, I wanted to do that because, well, uh, this is a judgy moment, but I thought a lot of the lip mags at that time, because Maldon House is almost turning 10 years old, they look kind of like shit, you know? So I wanted to do that. And I I was pretty heavy into social media back then, but the podcasts, like, I love listening to lip podcasts, but I always find myself bored at some point. And I want to know who the fuck the writer actually is. And, like, as a writer, I want people to know who I am. So I'm just, like, this is why I'm bombarding you with, like, weird, like, tell me who you are. Like, I want to get to know you. Tell me how many times. Because other people want to know, too. Tell me how many times a day you think about sex kind of conversations. (laughs) No, it's everything. Obviously, people wanted to know. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? I, I think that you, yeah, you saw, you saw a gap in the thing you wanted to see and you filled it. That's great. And I I think that it's not to say you can't have or that I don't have opinions or things that piss me off about this little community I now find myself a part of, which is very strange for me. Like, I I tend to skirt the edges of communities. That's like, it's like, it's emotionally safer for just for me to like not be fully in the mix. So I, so this is maybe the most community I've had in a long time, which is strange to say because it's online. My therapist fully thinks I make it up. He, he's, I'm, I'm like, Jerry, they're real people and they're nice. He's like, sure, right, you're online friends. Okay. 
but oh bro see i looked out with a therapist whose daughter is an influencer oh, okay oh. so so he he gets it yeah my therapist is like a little bit older and he like refers to it as the twitterverse i'm like it's it's a real thing jerry anyway but it's not that it's not that i don't have like opinions about stuff that goes on or it's not that there's stuff that i don't like obviously that exists but for the most part i think it's cool when people wake up and when there's a lot in the world that feels overwhelming or hopeless someone gets up and says i'm gonna fucking make something today or i'm gonna help someone else make something today and i don't know that's just really rad that's the kind of people I I'm want to be around. I'm a very big fan of that. Yeah. You know, create more than you consume. Yeah. And you you did that, and you found your little community. You know, I'm sure it's not always And perfect. meanwhile, right now, you're being a writing machine, and I'm loving it. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that lots. I, I got really lucky while I was ignoring the second half of my second novel I pivoted to writing a lot of short fiction in like a short period of time in January which is like the first few mm-hmm. the first few songs on this playlist are things that I was just like playing over and over when I was drafting the stuff that I have come out coming out in the next few months and I got very lucky to have a little run of like writing things and then having them very quickly accepted which is good because um, I feel like it was a lot of fun to do for one thing, like it's been a lot of fun to write short fiction and sub it places and, and have it be well received. Like that's so thrilling and it's so wonderful. And I've met friends that way. And, um, but it's also good in the way that it gives me a little bit of like leeway time to keep publishing while I'm, while I'm still, uh, working on these book projects. So I, I have to turn back to like working on this draft again. I have to get back into it. It's just like, you know, getting into the mindset We're of doing for it. it. Thank you. I appreciate that. So is there anything else you want to let your crazy crowd of over 50 people that messaged me I can't get, know about I you? I can't get over that. Whoever, if you, if you are listening. I refuse to name names. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. Do I get to know? Um, no. I hope no one hated on me. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe maybe that'll happen, but uh, I hope no one hates me. Well, in they won't because we cut out the cool part. Yeah. Um, if you are listening to this and you thought to like write in and ask me a question, thank you so much. If you're listening to this and you like my work or care enough, or you cared enough to listen to this whole conversation with me and Mal, thank you, Mal. Thank you for having me on. This it's so cool to like chat with you, and I can't wait to meet you someday. All right, that was Kirsty McKenzie. You can keep up with her work via her Twitter at Kirsty Mac, or just Google her to see her writing. As always, everything will be spelled in the show notes and links will be shared. Now let me get you out of here with some quick requests. Please check out our Twitter at Pod Healing and take a look at our website, textualpodcast.com. Show us support by going onto Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review or subscribing to us on Spotify. We'll be back next week with Christina Quay reading from her and Chase Griffin's upcoming book, How to Play a Necromancer's Theremin. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show. <laughs>